The medical information communicated in this podcast is of a general educational nature. If you are feeling unwell, please seek the attention of a medical practitioner. Any advertisements promoted throughout the podcast are not endorsed by the presenter or any of the guests interviewed. Hi there, welcome to MediTalk, a medical podcast talking all things medical in a way that you can understand. You're with Danae. Today we are going to talk about what's new in contraception. Contraception today offers more choice than ever, which is safe, convenient and long-lasting. Unfortunately though, in life we often remember negative health-related stories, which can lead us to becoming more fearful of the very things that can actually help us. So I thought, why not start this podcast episode by chatting directly to a patient? Oh gosh, the IUDs are really very small. I'm just trying to think of something that it would be compared to maybe the size of a, a golf ball or something. They're only very tiny. Okay. And look, it, it can hurt when it goes in. For some people, it, it does hurt quite a bit, but for some people, it doesn't really hurt at all. Wow. Um, for me, it hurt a little bit, but I was advised to take some anti-inflammatories before the procedure and that really helped. Mm. Um, but the thing is, it lasts for, for five years. So it was that small wow. amount of pain for such a, a long-term gain. So it was worth it and I'd get another one in a heartbeat. Really? Okay. Yeah, and yeah. what made you go for that option versus something else? So you, you came to SHQ and sort of wanting to have a look at your contraception options? Yeah, yeah. So I'd been on the pill, I'd tried the contraceptive ring, but I was really looking for something that um, I didn't have to worry about on a daily basis, something that I could just put in my body that would last for a long time and something that I knew would be a really effective contraceptive. And um, I was a student at the time, so yeah, really didn't want to have to be worrying about it, a daily contraceptive. And I chose the marina because I also wanted the added benefit of not having a period, so I didn't have a period for five years, which was just a gift. Yeah, it was just perfect. Right. And so no real sort of side effects, just or, or just gains by the yeah, sound of it. Yeah, I mean, the first couple of, um, you know, after the insertion, I had a little bit of cramping. For the first couple of days, there was a, a tiny bit of bleeding. But after that, it was it was really smooth sailing. And I know that there's different experiences for different yeah. people, but I found that the marina really worked, really worked well for me. And how long does it actually take for an insertion? Is it sort of done within a half an hour appointment? Yeah, so it was a a half-hour appointment. So I think from memory I came in uh, for an appointment uh, for about half an hour beforehand just to discuss the IUD itself and and what would happen on the day and just to make sure I didn't have any uh, contraindications, so reasons why I wouldn't be able to have a marina. And then on the day, it was about a half-hour appointment. Um, There was a a trainee there, there was a doctor there, and there was a nurse there who was uh, by my side the whole time, making sure that um, the procedure went really well for me. Yeah, so it was quite simple. You sort of, did you feel like afterwards you thought, oh, that wasn't a big deal? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think because I'd been hearing things, I was a little bit more anxious potentially than I needed to be. But certainly afterwards, it was like, oh, okay, that's it. That's done. It was only half an hour. And now I have five years worth of contraception. So yeah, yeah totally worth it. Yeah. So you've been covered in terms of no, no, no babies have happened during this no time. No babies. No <laughs> babies have happened during this time. No. Yeah. yeah. So it's worked. It's done its job. And you'd you know, if for other women out there, what would you say about it as an option? Oh, look, I would recommend all the larks incredibly highly. I mean, the and marine- larks. What, is, oh, what do yeah, you mean so- by that? <laughs> all these little 
terminologies. What yeah. is a lark? So, so larks are the long-acting reversible contraceptives. So okay. the implanon, which is the uh, rod, uh, the marina, which is the hormonal IUD, and the copper IUD. They're the, the long-acting reversible contraceptives. And I would recommend those to absolutely everybody. And for me, the marina um, has Worked been wonderful. Yeah. It lasted a long time. It was affordable and it had that added benefit of not having a period as well. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing your your knowledge and also your experience because I think sometimes as women, you know, we sometimes, well, as human beings, we might think of worst case scenario and Mm. sometimes that's unfortunately what we hear and it's really nice to hear sort of what it's like to actually go through the process and and that it's actually turned out well and uh, sort of take away these myths that we have of things that we think are scary but ultimately they haven't that hasn't been the case for you. Oh, no, I think it's really important that we have this conversation and get the message out there, so thank you. Now we will hear from Medical Director Dr Rochelle Douglas at Sexual Health Quarters. We're with Dr Rochelle Douglas from SHQ in Perth and we're going to talk about contraception today. So thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So what are the options out there with contraception nowadays? So we're really lucky that we have a lot more options than we used to. Uh, So we have what we call long-acting reversible contraceptives. And they're uh, the contraceptives which are actually the most effective forms of contraception. So uh, the contraceptive implant is, or an implanon is what some people call it, is a little rod device that sits in the arm. Uh, It lasts for three years and it's 99.95% effective at preventing pregnancy. So it's a really nice set and forget type method. Mm. Uh, There are other options as well. So there are... um, um, intrauterine devices or IUDs. Yes. One is called a copper IUD, which has no hormone in it. So it suits those women who prefer not to use any hormones with their contraceptive method. And that's over 99% effective also. Mm-hmm. A- and the hormonal IUD is the Mirena. So it's a small uh, IUD that goes inside the uterus and it secretes a very little bit of what we call progestogen. So that works to also thin the lining of the womb and it can lead to people having much lighter periods or no periods at all. So it's not only a good contraceptive, it's also really good for women who might be suffering from heavy menstrual bleeding. So they're the sort of long-acting methods. And the good thing about those are that they are very effective. You don't have to remember to take them Mm. every day. And um, they're also completely reversible. So if anybody is planning on having children, once they're removed, you can fall pregnant again straight away. So when you say long-acting, is that what people might be referring to as larks? Is that yeah? So yeah. that's exactly right. So the larks are the long-acting reversible contraceptives. And when you say long-acting, is that how many years? You yeah, know, does it good. vary for the different? Uh, forms of contraception? Yeah, so the implanon Mm -hmm. or the implant, contraceptive implant, lasts for three years. The Mirena or the progestogen-containing intrauterine device lasts for five years. Mm -hmm. And the copper devices, depending on which type is inserted, can last up to 10 years. So some of them last for five, some of them last for 10, uh, and that can be discussed with the clinician at the time. So we're all individuals. So what, you know, how should you go about deciding you know what? It seems like we have now a lot of choice, which is wonderful. But how do you decide what one's best for you? I think it needs to be in consultation with your medical practitioner, uh, and part of the decision really needs to be around first of all 
any other medical issues that you might have, mm. any medications that you might be having, and also around what suits your lifestyle. Mm -hmm. For example, if you're a woman who has very severe migraines with aura, then the oral contraceptive pill is absolutely contraindicated. Now, what is aura? So an aura <laughs> is when you can get, well... You're putting me on the spot here. Yes, yeah, it's it's a difficult question. Yeah. It, it's a basically where you can get some visual changes and hallucinations, okay. and you see things around. Uh, so like an aura. like an aura, yeah, yeah okay. around things. So they're, they're quite a rare form of migraine, but that particular form of migraine can, uh, with the use of oestrogen, it can increase the risk of stroke, so and that's, so that's why we don't so recommend that's an the contraceptive of some pill. Some people that might have other medical conditions going on that need to be taken into account when you're making those choices. That's exactly that right. right. Yeah. And so for women, uh, some women who are, for example, suffering from epilepsy and on medications, certain types of epilepsy medications will affect hormonal contraceptives. Okay. And for some people, uh, for those, for example, who might have breast cancer or who have had a breast cancer, a non-hormonal contraceptive method might be best for them. So yeah. the copper IUD is quite frequently used in women who can't tolerate any hormones. Yeah. So it sounds like there's something suitable for everyone. You Look, I think most of the time we can find something that's suitable for women and it really does mean that the woman should sit down with their doctor and have yes. a discussion as to what their lifestyle is. Rather than probably us getting on Google or chatting with our girlfriends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I think the important message to get across is that just because something doesn't work for one person yes. doesn't mean it's not going to work for you because everybody is so individual. For example, we have a lot of young people coming in saying, oh, I don't want to get one of those rod things because my friends had it yes. and it made them bleed all the time. Yeah. Certainly there are some women who do experience bleeding side effects from the contraceptive implant, but about 75% of women who have their contraceptive implant inserted here are really happy with it after 12 months which is actually a higher percentage of women happy with the implant than, for example, the oral contraceptive pill, which is in st some studies women have only had about a 50% satisfaction after 12 months period. So I think it's the important message is to have a sit down and you can try different methods. And uh, the other thing around bleeding side effects for long-acting reversible contraceptives is that most of them can be managed in consultation with your clinician. Okay. So that is quite high in terms of satisfaction. Um, do you think that comes down to then the expertise of the people um, you're dealing with and, and, and the people inserting it? Or what would it be that it's so high, which is great? So the evidence supports that if people have an understanding of the device in which they're being using for contraceptive, that we give proper pre-insertion counselling, yes. that their satisfaction rates are higher. Yeah, yeah, great. Is there one that's better than the other? So again, the long-acting reversible contraceptives are the most effective methods. Having said that, some people still prefer shorter acting methods because they suit their lifestyle. Okay. So the other methods which we haven't discussed yet are things like the Depo-Provera injection, which is a, an injection of a progestogen which lasts for three months and it's an injection you get sort of about four times a year. Uh, that um, can be sort of 99.8% effective if used absolutely perfectly. If you're a little bit late for an injection or you, you know, you don't get it done on time, then obviously the risk of pregnancy slightly increases with that one. Yeah. Uh, the other methods are really like the, you know, 
oral contraceptive pill, of which there are many, many different brands. Yes. And that can have sort of some good side effects as well. So the oral contraceptive pill can also be used in some women who might experience acne, for example, and be, be very good at controlling acne side effects. Um, and that includes the vaginal ring can also be very good for controlling some other non-wanted side effects for women, for want so of a better word. So there sounds like there's pros and cons of all of them and it's finding which are the more benefit you're going to get out of versus, you know, perhaps ones that you think might not be a good fit for you. Yeah, definitely. And my approach is always when I see somebody who wants to know about contraception, I sort of sit them down and say, well, let's go through your medical history first. Let's go through your medications. Let's figure out if you're a smoker or you've got any other risk factors which might make one method more preferable than the other. Mm. For most young people who are relatively healthy, any method is is absolutely fine. So there used to be this sort of myth or concern that putting in an intrauterine device in somebody who's never had children before is dangerous yes. or can increase their infection risk, where in fact the evidence shows that that's not the case at all. So there is a very small risk of infection with any surgical procedure, but that seems to be just in those first 20, 21 days after insertion. And then if you don't have an infection then, which most people don't, there's no increased risk of infection for the next five or 10 years. And it's a very effective form of contraception. And what about, I mean, we talk about sort of pros and cons. What about, I mean, I've got amongst even my friend group, you know, people that have had the the implant and people that have had the injection and they've said, oh, you know, I, I got mood swings. I was, you know, you know, what do you say to women that perhaps are fearing having, they've listened to that sort of feedback from their girlfriend? Um, what would you say to that? Is, that's not always the case. Yeah, I always try to speak to women and say everybody's experience is different with yes. different forms of contraception. So as I said before, some people will get mood swings or get side effects from the contraceptive implant, but find that the progestogen-containing IUD is absolutely perfect for them. Mm -hmm. Some women find even the small dose of progestogen that they might be getting through a Mirena causes some mood swings. And for those women, we could recommend a copper IUD because there are no hormones in it. Yes. And so I think it's really important for women to discuss with the doctor what might be best for them. Yes. So if for example, you're a 17-year-old and sitting exams but not sexually active but want your periods controlled, something like the oral contraceptive pill might be worthwhile Suitable. considering. But if you're sexually active and you really can't afford to get pregnant but you can't remember to take the pill every day at the same sort of time, then the oral contraceptive pill is not going to be that effective for you. So it might be worthwhile considering an intrauterine device or an IUD or a an implant on. Yeah, sounds good. Um, in terms of do the IUDs and the and the implants hurt? Because I think that's another myth we need to answer today. You know that we all don't want to um, feel pain. Mm. What, what's the reality of of those um, having those treatments? I think that's a really good question, and I certainly can't say that some people don't experience discomfort when those devices are being inserted. But again, it's so varied and it's such an individual experience for different women. There are people here who we insert IUDs in who don't complain of any pain at, at all or literally just say it's sort of like a, a very sort of bad period cramp and that's the majority. For those women who perhaps are more sensitive or find it more painful experience, we've actually got really good options now in terms of 
pain pain management. So uh, here at SHQ, we're using something called Penthrox, which is like the green whistle that ambulance drivers Yes, uh, like they have on Bondi Rescue. Yeah, exactly (laughs) like that. Uh, And um, it's a really effective form of pain relief. So what we've found for people who are quite anxious about Mm. the pain that they might be experiencing or they're fearful of, for example, having a speculum examination because they've had previous bad experiences, which is not uncommon, Mm. then the penthrox can be a really effective way of having it inserted but not having to go through a general anaesthetic process. Uh, For the majority of uh, people, we use a local anaesthetic spray on the cervix, which is the neck of the womb, and that also seems to really mitigate some of the painful experience that people had before. And some people, the majority of people, don't need any pain relief at all. But as I said before, it really is up to you to have that discussion with your clinician. And if you know that you're somebody who gets quite anxious about speculum exams or anxious about procedures, certainly the Penthrox might be a good option for you during this procedure. The Implanon is not really painful to get in because we use a little bit of local anaesthetics. So it does involve a small little injection under the skin of uh, lignocaine, which is just a local anaesthetic. We leave it for a few minutes and generally that numbs the skin, which means that when we insert the Implanon, there isn't any pain. Often people feel a bit of pushing or pulling, but they shouldn't actually feel any pain at all. And how long do these sort of procedures take? So if we're trying to take time off school or uni or... Um, work and we're and we're needing to have these procedures done what's what are they what 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 would an experience look like so here at SHQ we like to spend a lot of time with patients explaining what we're doing so we probably spend the majority of the consult talking and the actual procedure itself doesn't take very long at all so mm-hmm. a contraceptive implant procedure just to have one inserted pretty much from beginning to end about five minutes mm. uh, maximum and with the intrauterine devices most of the time between five to 15 minutes is the total time that yeah. you'd be experiencing that and as I said before because with the intrauterine devices they last for so long mm. five to ten years you don't have to get it done every week or anything it's done yeah. and over with. And what about the costs? So if cost is important, you know, you might be a uni student or someone still, you know, you know, at school or, you, you know, and you do have to think about what's the most affordable option for you, what are the sort of costs of the different um, contraception op- options out there now? Look, it really depends on where you're going to get your contraception from Mm -hmm. and it depends whether or not you have a Medicare card and it depends whether or not you've got a healthcare card. So if we're considering for most Australians with Medicare cards, then the cost of a long-acting reversible contraceptive over the period of time is much cheaper than any other method. Mm. Having said that, unfortunately, there is an insertion cost at most places and there is a slightly increased upfront fee. So... The advantage of a Mirena, for example, and intrauterine advice is that it is subsidised by the PBS. And so that means that it costs for people with Medicare cards about $38, $39 for the actual device. Mm. And then sometimes it will cost an insertion fee as well. So here at SHQ, we charge an insertion fee of about $160, $170, but you will get about $107 back from Medicare. So the out-of-pocket expense here is between $50 and $60. Yeah. And that sort of is just because the cost of 
all of the equipment that goes yes, with it course. is quite and significant in the time. And yeah. the time. But as I said, because if you average that out over five years, it's a lot cheaper. Certainly for young people here or for people who are finding it difficult perhaps to pay an out-of-pocket expense, we would always bulk bill those insertions if we can. Yeah. And if you're listening to this podcast and you're living remotely or in the rural areas and you can't make it into SHQ, can they go to a GP or who actually put the implanons in and the IUDs? So there are quite a few GPs who can put in intrauterine devices and implanons and certainly SHQ is really heavily promoting that more GPs learn those skills and we have a lot of good training courses here for doctors and nurses to be able to learn new skills so that they can perform those skills in rural areas. Mm. Uh, For example, actually, SHQ doctors and nurses went up to the Kimberley just last year so that they could... train some of the nurses and doctors up there in the insertion of long-acting reversible contraceptives and on speculum exams, et cetera, as well, so as to upskill some of the people living in more rural and remote areas. So it's really looking for people that have got specialist training in, in, in contraception insertion. Yeah, definitely. So it would probably just involve ringing up your general practice and yes. asking if anybody there is a contraceptive expert or if anybody there can put in intrauterine devices or contraceptive implants. We've also got a sexual health helpline and our trained nurses downstairs can answer as many questions as they can. Yeah, Yeah, And so that people have got questions about perhaps a certain form of contraception, they know that they can get some accurate information and not just the information that they might read on Google. Google. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, Now, how long, so you're saying that really protection can, you can get some forms of uh, contraception that the protection is for years? Yes, definitely. So between three, five and ten years, you can get contraceptive cover for, So, and they are very effective. A lot of people seem to be a little concerned that if they have something like an IUD or a an implanton device that they might not be able to get pregnant afterwards. Yes. There's no evidence at all to suggest that these methods of contraceptives will delay fertility returning. So just having an intrauterine device is not going to reduce your chances of falling pregnant later on. And the other method, uh, you know, message for that is as soon as they're taken out, you can get pregnant. So people need to be prepared that if they are not happy with the device for whatever reason, they have it removed, they can actually fall pregnant sort of Straight away. Straight away. And that's good to know because I think even I would have thought, oh, do you need to wait a few months or that's not the case? No, definitely not with most of them. The only contraceptive where there can be a slight delay in fertility is the Depo-Provera and that's just because it's supposed to last three months but for some women it seems to last a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. And so for those women, although it's been proven over and over again that after 12 months the fertility returns to exactly what it was prior to the Depo-Provera injection, it can be a slight delay to fertility for that one. But having said that, all of the contraceptive, reversible contraceptive methods have a very normal return to fertility once they are stopped. Do that's good to know. What are some myths out there that perhaps you've heard but from patients you've consulted that we should really get out there in the open today? Well, there are lots of myths around contraception. First of all, our people are afraid of hormones and mm. that they are going to cause mood swings or depression. Certainly some hormones in some women can cause mood changes, but most of those can be mitigated by changing the slight doses of the hormone or using a different method of contraception. And the hormones themselves are not 
dangerous. They literally are designed to be able to suppress ovulation so that you don't get pregnant. And are they hormones that we naturally have anyway? Yeah, and, and essentially what I also try to say to people is, you know, if we go back sort of 40, 50 years, most women stopped getting their period for about 10 to 20 you know, years of her, their reproductive life because they would have either been pregnant mm. or breastfeeding and so menstruation wasn't so regular. So this whole idea that we're, you know, we've got to have a regular period, et cetera, is really sort of outdated mm. and it doesn't really fit in with what we see as being current medical science. I'm not sure if I've mentioned before, but with the oral contraceptive pill, for example, traditionally we've been told that you need to take a seven-day break after 21 yes. days of tablets. But in fact, the evidence is really conclusive now that we should be encouraging women to take extended regimes of the pill for as long as they want to without getting a breakthrough bleed. And that if they have a breakthrough bleed, they can just have a pill-free break, but only for four days rather than the seven. And what's the benefit to that? Not having uh, so the benefit is that it seems to be a more effective contraceptive method because you're most likely to fall pregnant on the pill if you've stopped taking it for the seven days and then you forget the first couple of tablets mm -hmm. because you can get ovulation. So if you're taking the oral contraceptive pill with the active tablets continuously, then you're much less likely to have breakthrough ovulation and so the success rate is higher. Also, mm -hmm. for, for women who don't want to get periods at certain times or don't want to mm. feel like they're bleeding or have a withdrawal bleed, then it can be really great as well because they can control when and if they're going to have some bleeding. So, you know, as I said before, 16, 17-year-old women coming up to exam time mm. often don't want to be sitting there trying to do their ATARs with a really heavy period and sometimes the oral contraceptive pill can be really good at suppressing uh, su suppressing bleeding during so those times. You, so if you are worried about hormones or if that's one of your major priorities on choice, what are the options? Is it the copper IUD? Yeah, so the copper saying? IUD is really effective and certainly we seem to be seeing more women who are choosing that option mm -hmm. because of the fact that they've had issues with hormonal contraceptive in the past mm -hmm. uh, and some women choose the Mirena option because actually the hormone dose is very, very low um, and so the hormonal side effects are quite minimal with that. Okay, and are there any risks to being on contraception? So there are risks and benefits to every yes. sort of form of any medication that we might be given by her, our doctor. And I think when discussing risks, we also have to think about what the risks of getting pregnant are for you. So the risk of having a pregnancy is much, much higher for one individual woman than any risk of being on oral contraceptives. Mm. So, for example, an oral contraceptive pill does have a slight increased risk of getting a clot in your leg. Um, so that's a DVT. Yes. And so it's important for women to be aware of that slight risk. But for those same women, if they get pregnant, their risk of getting a clot is significantly higher So, uh, because the hormones in pregnancy are significantly higher than those mm. that you're actually taking when you take the oral contraceptive pill. So, yeah, there are some certain risks associated with the hormones. There's a certain risk associated with perhaps some mood disturbance with the hormones, some acne and breast tenderness. They're sort of the main hormonal side effects that we tend to see. With the uh, progestogen-only methods of contraception, uh, intermittent bleeding or irregular bleeding is the most frequently reported side effect. Mm -hmm. So, for, for example, for contraceptive implants, I usually quote some very vague figures of sort of saying, look, one in five women have no periods and they really love it for that. 
about three in five women find that their periods are irregular or their bleeding is irregular but not um, troublesome. Mm. And then there's a proportion of women who find that they just get prolonged bleeding patterns and they want to get it removed for those reasons. So it really is an individual experience and what we do is encourage women who are having bleeding difficulty with their contraceptive devices to come in early to a family planning clinic or to their GP because there are lots of different things that we can use to help manage those mm-hmm. and a lot of those bleeding issues just settle over time anyway. Yeah. And, so rather and than so suffer in silence, just go Don't suffer to- in silence and don't think that you have to get it removed straight away because it's not working because there are certainly different things that we can do to help you regulate any bleeding or any contraceptive side effects that you might be experiencing. Okay. So what are some last important tips you know, maybe three big ones that you would you would uh, you would say that women should think about when they're thinking about contraception. I think women should think about first of all what's important for them and their lifestyle, and that they know they should know that there are lots of different options out there. Um, secondly, that most contraceptive methods are very safe mm. and very well tolerated by women and that the LARC or the long-acting reversible contraceptive methods are by far the most effective forms of contraception and also the most satisfactory forms of contraception for women in all of the studies done. Mm. And the final message, I guess, is that despite the advances in long-acting reversible contraceptives and all contraception, they still don't protect against sexually transmitted infections. And so it really is important for women who are changing partners or whose partners might change partners to use condoms at uh, sexual intercourse as well. So I think that's an important message to get across because uh, particularly in Perth at the moment, we've seen very huge increases in gonorrhea in heterosexual women and also in syphilis. So it is unfortunate but it is true that women and men should protect themselves with condoms in new relationships and get tested for STIs regularly. That's an excellent point. Thank you so much for today. I've learned so much and I'm sure there's many others that ha- that will listen to today's podcast and have also opened their eyes to what's new in contraception and uh, making some good choices for them. And I'll make sure all the uh, information's on the episode notes. So thank you. No props. Thank you very much. For more information on sexual health, head to Sexual Health Quarter's website, shq.org.au, or please reach out and speak with your doctor. If you feel this podcast episode can help a friend or a family member, please share. As remember, by sharing knowledge, it empowers ourselves and others. And if you like this podcast episode, and if you could spend a minute just to write a quick review on Apple Podcasts, it is a huge help to giving independent podcasts like MediTalk a real hot go. For more episodes, head to meditalk.com.au. Thanks for listening.